0: Welcome to Risk Sleep Repeat, a podcast that features influential guest speakers from the world of fire, health and safety. We're going to focus on trust-based safety, owning and embracing risk, and the importance of people over paperwork. Hosted by me, Adam Clark, Managing Director, and Mike Stevens, CEO of Praxis42. If you're a fire, health and safety professional, join us for inspirational conversations about the future of our industry. Today, I'm joined by Silvana Martin, well-being leader at Langer Rourke. Sylvana is a passionate well-being professional with extensive experience in the fields of well-being, change management and business development. Sylvana has a proven track record of delivering health, well-being, safety and inclusion strategies, effectively embedding these into the culture of an organisation and achieving meaningful results. So welcome to the the podcast, Savannah. Thank you so much for taking the time out to uh, to talk to me today. I'd love to start just to give our listeners a bit of a background of um, you know of who you are, what you're about, and how you got to to where you are right now. So do you fancy giving me a little bit of an overview of your um, your journey today?
1: Yes, of course, Adam. And thank you so much for inviting me along to do this podcast. So I currently am well being leader for Langer Rock for the European Hub. Um, but my journey getting here has been quite a varied journey, and I, I guess that's really what we're going to be talking about today. So, yeah, where did I start? So, um, I remember when I was sort of just doing my A levels and thinking about what I wanted to do around my career. I wasn't really sure, but I loved languages, and I actually thought I was going to go abroad and teach English. So, I did a degree in English and Italian at the University of Manchester. And then, actually, as I completed that, um, I thought, actually, I don't really want to do that anymore. I changed my mind. It's not really something that I wanted to do. I actually been out and done some of it over the sort of like the holidays and I'd done a year out which was great and it was a great experience but it gave me the opportunity to really think about well is this really what I want to do and actually at the end of it no it wasn't so then I looked at things like translation interpreting that sort of stuff Um, and I ended up actually um, in a job in sales and marketing selling health and safety training which was really my first job so and that was great because I actually went on to do a sort of uh, qualification in marketing and in sales and I actually realized that I really loved the people side of things the safety training was fine it was just sort of something that I got used to and, and sort of was able to sort of sell across different industries so that's sort of um where I started out but then I moved out of the sort of health and safety training arena into something quite different and um And actually used my sales and marketing background, but also went into business improvement and sort of change management and process improvement. So looking at how we could drive efficiencies. So I went into a role where basically I was just facilitating change and looking at ways in which we can drive efficiencies across the business. And it was almost an internal sales and marketing role, if you like, because obviously with that, you need to bring people along on the journey. So I still used the skills, but not in the obvious way, I suppose, that you would imagine sales and marketing role to sort of play out. And I spent sort of five years working with different teams. It was great just looking at where we could drive business efficiencies and um, managing the change process along the way. And it was great because actually that was quite a varied role. And I would work with sort of big teams winning the work. So using the, the sales and marketing background there, I suppose, and then working with the project teams to actually put in place the plan that we had and then looking at how we could drive efficiencies to increase the profit margin for the for the business whilst we're in that you know delivering the project phase so with that i was then approached around a particular role managing a behavioral safety program so you may have heard of it i'm sure people in the industry will remember it incident injury free so we'd been working on um uh, terminal five and been working on a big project obviously with some great clients and we'd started to sort of learn a little bit about the behavioural safety programme and I was asked to sort of consider whether I'd look at how we'd implement that across the organisation. Of course it was something I wasn't really familiar with, my background actually isn't health and safety um, and that wasn't something that I was looking to pursue but I looked at the opportunity and thought actually this is a, a programme that we'd be looking to implement across the whole organisation, it's a massive opportunity. But I did raise my concerns. And actually, in the discussions with the director that was really leading the programme, he would said, look, we don't want a health and safety professional to run this because we want someone who is more focused on people and the change management process, because actually taking people along quite a big different way of working and looking at how things will change is going to be the biggest part of it. The actual safety part isn't really something that is the... um, well, you don't need to have the business compliance, the safety risk, understanding, all those elements that you would traditionally, yeah, imagine a health and safety role to be around. So so actually, yes, I um, I thought about it for a couple of days and thought, actually, this is a great opportunity and took that position. And it was a great springboard, to be fair, because it was actually working with people and it was looking at how we um, manage behavioural change across the organisation. And it, it did take a good five years to really get that embedded um, But it was a great opportunity to use, again, you know, your influencing and negotiation skills to bring people along on the journey and recognise the benefits of doing that. And at the same time, we embedded a new culture and a set of behaviours that meant that our safety performance improved massively over the five years. So, uh, yeah, so that was the instant injury free sort of programme manager role. And then we went on to develop um, the next phase of that. So we then um, self-delivered and designed our own safety programmes around culture and behaviour and what was the next sort of step, what were we trying to achieve, where were we moving on to. So um it was just pushing, I guess, the the boundaries of where we'd got to, you know, what's what does the next five years look like? How how can we design this and and how can we bring people along? So quite a creative phase that we had to go through because we were starting from look, this is what we know so far, but what does the next five years look like and what are other people doing? And, you know, we looked to other I guess industries such as aviation and things like that to see what was happening. But so we then designed our own programs and again was spent a lot of time rolling out training people across the organization, volunteers that would come through um, that wanted to actually get involved in delivering the message because it was important enough for them. And so we I did that for another few years and then actually there was a big gap in our occupational health and well-being program. So I think once the safety programs were embedded they were able to run on their own. They didn't really need the level of attention that they do when obviously you're first starting out at putting together a program and training and getting people to do all the communications around it, do the promotions, the marketing, all of that stuff that was already in place. So we were well-established. Um, so then my next step was really to look at our occupational health and wellbeing program and our approach in the organization. There'd been some big change around people leaving. And so I did a big sort of six month sort of needs analysis, just looked at what we were doing across the organization and then versus what we needed, really. And put together a paper with some recommendations and then delivered that to uh, the board, at which point they just then said, look, this looks great. Can we go ahead and implement so I then started, I guess, my journey in the occupational health and well-being space around putting together the foundations what we needed just from a legal compliance perspective, which was around obviously managing our occupational health risks and making sure we had service providers in place that would support our gaps or, or what we needed just to make sure that our people were safe and well in the in the business and at work. And as the occupational health piece embedded and people got familiar with the process of you know making sure that we're doing all our necessary um, medicals fit for work you know health surveillance that sort of thing and then we started to look at you know what's the next stage which was the well-being piece and then that's the bit that's really grown really because it sort of has really pushed some of the expectations of what we can do as an organisation in looking after our people and managing their well-being but allowing them to actually thrive in the workplace and at home so how do we balance that piece between you know, um, how do we enhance the human element and making sure that people are living their best life at work and at home and actually have having both of those com- complementing each other rather than competing.
0: Which I think is a massive challenge for so many organizations at the at the moment. And I and I guess I was thinking as you were saying that, you know, you're one of the organizations that, you know, is large enough and has the resources to be able to kind of lead the way. Um and, you know, what we could see now with the things that you're working on or have already implemented, um, you know, that trickle down effect for smaller organizations, um, you know, over the next three to five years, you'll start to see some of the things that you're doing now being rolled out because, you know, people get to see how it's worked, um, where you've tweaked it. And then, you know, there'll be great case studies coming coming out of that it's good for everybody to, to learn.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I think um, that you mentioned the point about us being a big organisation and probably having the resources. We're actually only a team of three in wellbeing. And we oh, well, look after go. we look after 7,000 employees across the organisation. And um, I, I think what's happened, what's held us in good stead is really the, the business improvement and the um, looking at where we drive efficiencies through processes and making sure we make the best out of our resources. Over the years, I was able to do that as part of my training and development, um, I've been able to implement that in the programs and sort of the areas of the business that I look after. So we we do a lot with not very much, but we also use a lot of volunteers and people that want to get involved in the well-being space, um, especially mental health anyway, that people come forward and they ask, look, how can I get involved and this is all discretionary effort that we rely upon because people have got day jobs, but they are so passionate about either the well-being space or mental health or a particular area such as like managing capacity and getting the best out of our people that um, people are willing to come forward and, and support that. So we do, we do rely on we've got like 350 sort of mental health champions. We've got 40 odd energy and capacity champions. And these are people that, yeah, I've got day jobs that keep them busy enough. And we use them and we say, look, we will support you. So if you need some timeouts and few months where, you know, things are really busy for you, just let us know that's fine. We can, you know, uh, support that and we'll just use other people. But it, it is, yeah, trying to manage that across a, a big business with clients that have got some great demands and that, you know, want us to be the best that we can be and, and lead the way. Um, but it's a great challenge and it's a, a, a space that you can be really creative because you've got to think outside the box. And I love that element of the role. You know, the key thing is trying to create a work environment that people, you know, love being part of and want to be part of shaping it and moving it forward and, you know, getting involved in the innovative and creative thinking. And I think we're quite lucky in this business. um, And it's probably a lot to do with being privately owned in that we're encouraged to be looking at new innovations, new ways of working. And, you know, one of our key drivers is around pushing boundaries and making sure that, you know, however challenging it might be, just have the courage to look at pushing the boundaries doing things that might be different and and I think one of the key things here is around actually just recognize that it's okay to fail because actually if you make a mistake you learn from it and so not everything is going to be perfect the whole time you might test something and it might not be as you expected it to turn out but that's okay because then you just go look let's redesign let's rethink and let's try this direction instead and we are encouraged to do that and I think um One of the things that allows that to happen is our our values and being able to live those across the organisation and getting people to go look, you know, our key values of care, integrity and courage are around, you know, have the courage to try something different, you know, do the things that actually are around caring for our people, our environment, you know, the communities that we work in, the stakeholders that we work with, you know, all the organisations that we partner with, but do it with integrity.
0: I think you know we kind of have to recognize that yes the NHS have had you know cuts in resources but equally you know, the, the campaigning around mental health uh, and raising awareness inevitably is going to you know link to more mental more mental health um, issues as people you know people recognize it in themselves and then seek seek treatment it's the same reason when you you know have a really good focus on near-miss reporting and accident reporting and then you suddenly end up with more accidents and more near misses it like, well, <laughs> doesn't mean that they just come out of nowhere it's you're actually focusing focusing on it so um and you know i, I think that's that's the trend that, that we need to keep pushing towards you know obviously there are lots of things that we can try and do proactively you know before people come into crisis but you know as she quite rightly said there are those you know everybody goes through periods of times period of time where there are you know high stress situations and some of those are very natural like you mentioned it might be bereavement it might be um new parent, uh all, all sorts of different different scenarios when you think okay, you know, people have gone through this before. And, you know, let's get those mechanisms in, in place to try and keep people uh, keep people going whilst they're going through those tough times.
1: Just thinking about look what, what else can we do to support our our people? Not, you know, we need to be thinking outside of the the mental health space. And I think that's one of the things that we've been able to sort of learn from over the last couple of years. And one of the things that we've we've implemented across the organisation is around capacity and energy management so giving people the tools and techniques to be able to manage their own capacity because everyone's working hard there's you know we've got more to do with less people and demands on us just grow you know over the years you just look back and you go oh my goodness I'm sure actually the demand just increases each year at work and at home because people have got private lives as well that they have Mm. to manage you know families and children or hobbies and things like that and yeah. And we introduced a capacity management program, actually, because um, we're lucky enough to have you know people in the organization that have come in from a sports background, sports science background and psychology background. So they obviously look at you know what can we do to improve the performance of our athletes that we're working with. And then being able to translate that into the corporate world has been a really interesting sort of journey. But our people have loved it. So being able to look at, you know, how do you manage your physical energy, your mental energy, your emotional energy, and actually your purposeful energy, because we don't really test that very often. Do we say, look, do we know what our purpose in life is? Are we living our life in accordance with our values? Because we actually get energy from those things. So if we're doing stuff that we love or that we really enjoy. And I think this is really key and especially in this podcast, Adam, really, when you talk about, you know, how did I end up in my career, it's been a very varied career, but actually what I've been able to do is say what do what's really important to me? What's my purpose? And where do I get sort of value? And actually, you know, what's my reason for getting out of bed in the morning? And one of the big things for me is about making a difference and helping people. And whether that's in, you know, looking at sort of like change management programs, looking at how we manage safety, look at how we look after the well-being and health of our people. All those things have been able to tick that box for me to say, actually, I can go home and go, I've, I've done the things that are really important to me as an individual. And I think that's one of the key things, because you never really know at the age of, what, 16, 17, 18, what you want to do for the rest of your life.
0: <laughs> of course you don't. Um, you know, everybody wants to go and be a firefighter or a policeman or a nurse or a doctor, you know, all go through those. So you make such a great point around kind of your your purpose or your or your why. And I think some people never really twig what that is. And I think the sooner that you can, you know, twig what that is and what really, motivates or to your point energizes you i think it helps you take that path or look at where what what the steps that you need to need to to do or when you feel like you know maybe the time is right to move move on or diversify slightly and you know giving giving in a way that helps people is you know a really powerful purpose um and you know what what you said there um earlier on about resources and having three a three-person team for seven thousand well actually that means you you know are incredibly influential and the kind of the ripple effect of the innovations that you take the paths that you get to discuss with the you know the executive team the you know the potential impact of that across seven you know, i mean not just seven thousand know, it will go it will go way beyond that
1: yeah that's great thank you for saying that because you don't you know when you're doing the job you just think we well, just do the job and then you don't look at actually the bigger picture of what you how you're actually influencing or touching others in the, whether it's industry, different industries or all of those things. But I think just touching back on the purpose thing. And, uh, you know, if there was one thing that I would say, it's stay in touch with what's important to you, your values and where you get the most satisfaction, because I think during different life stages as well, that changes. So, you know, when I look at my career Sort of post university, what I wanted to do. I was just being, you know, really ambitious, wanted to get on the career ladder, wanted to do really well. And, you know, and then actually, versus my, you know, I had my child when I was 38. And so my priorities sort of shifted because actually building a family and looking after Luca was really important and actually making sure that he's got a great future. So things change in, at different lifetimes, the different life stages as you develop and your values and your purpose might change as well. And it's okay to go, "Mm, do you know what, I need to do something different now. My focus might be actually building a career that supports me bringing up my family, or it might be actually I want the next five years to be a really senior manager in an organisation, but in this industry, because it's what I feel really passionate about. So I think the important thing to think about is that will change, and that's okay. And just go with what, yeah, gives you that, you know, satisfaction and makes you feel like I'm really enjoying getting out of bed in the morning, and going to work, because when you don't, it, it can be really tough.
0: Oh, exactly. And, and interestingly, I was discussing with a colleague only a couple of days ago around when you've been a parent for, for a few years, and then you're in those modes where, you know, work is busy, life is busy. And you, you sometimes think, how, how do I cope with, just being kind of on all the time. Um, even those even those days, as I'm sure you've experienced, when um, you actually don't turn off at all. You turn, The second you turn off is when you f- fall on the bed absolutely exhausted, knowing that you've got to get up and go for it the other day. But like you say, you've got, um, you know, your family that you've got to support. And then in a work rate style you've got people who you, you know, you're there to also support and lead and, and help moving on. And it's, um, you know, we go back to kind of, I suppose, probably 18, 19-year-old you, if you were able to look forward and think "Wow, is that really what i'm gonna what I'm gonna be in the in the future when you're kind of sat with minimal responsibilities and a massive amount of time to do what you like with so to kind of go back to you know your your journey into getting where you where you were I think it's really interesting that kind of the start of your career you know you you were in looking at sales and marketing you were looking at change and then you also kind of developed a commercial awareness. fairly fairly early early on and you know in a lot of the the podcast episodes that I've discussed with other guests it's it tends to be people who've more of a subject matter expertise earlier on and then as they go through their career and and get higher up they then kind of add on some more of those skills towards the, the the latter end so it's really interesting that you've got those you've had those first and I suspect that that's been really really influential in as you've you know as you mentioned on a couple of different occasions where you were heavily involved in, you know, either winning something or doing the analysis or putting the business case together. And then the team around you who've, you know, looked at what you've done and then gone said, well, yeah, I mean, we've got great confidence in, in what you've put together. Why would we not want you to go and um, go and implement it?
1: And I would say definitely from an, you know, early in my career, I actually got quite a good uh, understanding of different elements of, you know, the business really understanding you know the front end client part you know my sales and marketing background all that sort of thing then understanding actually the business operations understanding commercial and finance and depending on where I was you know what are the key things is it engineering is it construction is it you know something else but understanding how a business fundamentally works was a great foundation for me and I'm naturally like quite nosy and I, well, I call it curious. Everyone else says nosy, right? But I'm like, oh, what, what do we do in this department? Tell me about <laughs> procurement and what happens here? And oh, well, I want to know. Because actually, when you start to put all the pieces of jigsaw together, you go, ah, oh, I get it now. OK, so this is important because this happens and that happens. And so, um, yeah, I that and that did absolutely set me in really, you know, just a great understanding for understanding business anyway and how it operates and what's really important but also in being able to put together, right, okay, we need to put a business case together. What are the important things here? And actually what's adding value when you talk to sort of like the finance team, you know, what do they want to see here? And just be really thinking about the people that you're pitching at.
0: And I love curiosity. I I definitely don't (laughs) refer it to being nosy, but I I can from time. In fact, you know, my early career when I was, um, you know, out on the road a lot and going to to various different places, I I don't know what it was, but I love when I used to get, you know, go behind the, go behind the scenes and go back of house even if it was in the really dingy plant rooms or um, uh, engineering areas that I wanted to go in I just loved seeing the things that you wouldn't normally get get access to but I think curiosity as a leadership trait is is so important if you're trying to kind of understand you know the whole picture and and look at how you can influence the whole picture yeah having a bit of an understanding of what everybody does is is really important and being Oh, we're going to use brave a lot, I feel, today. Um, being brave and like, being That's able crazy. to ask ask yeah. questions where you, someone else might feel that you're asking a really basic question, but if you don't understand, yeah. it doesn't matter, does it? It's, it rather than just kind of, we've all been in training courses where, you know, the, the trainer will say, right, everybody understood that, and then no one's really saying anything. One person puts their hands up and says, do you know what? Actually, I didn't quite get that bit. And then you've got you know ten other people Absolutely. in the room going, oh, "So glad yeah. they asked that question because I didn't really know. Yeah. I didn't really know either." Um, but being you know, I often refer it to it being being able to yeah. expose your vulnerabilities um, and being able to do that in front of in front of people that you might not feel comfortable necessarily or might feel comfortable doing that with. Um, but it it just helps. You know, trying to get that that understanding. I mean, uh, you know, I've always been one with I, I hate being beaten by anything to do with IT. And so I just kind of keep going and going and going. And then I do a bit of Googling. And then if I really feel like I'm going to sink way too much time into it, then I need to go and get, go and get some help. But just to try and understand how something, something works. And I'm quite a logical person. So I sort of feel like, well, if it's a well-designed system, it should be relatively easy to work out what I need to do, what I need to do next. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but I think that's really important trait for people to, people to have, you know, to, Ask ask a load of questions. Try and find out how to do some things first. And you know, from a from a pure safety perspective, you if you want to be really effective um, operationally, then go, go and understand what your what your people are doing, what are the challenges they face. You know, what's the what's a day in their life like? And you can't necessarily find that out. Certainly not um, you know in, in the construction industry. Yeah, absolutely. If you never leave your office, and
1: I um I think I in my early days of the career, I think I recognised that I didn't obviously have. Uh, the knowledge, experience, background, so I needed to go out and find it and asking people, what, what are you doing? Tell me what you're doing right now. I don't really understand. So, you know, it could be a steel fixer or, it, you know, just could be, you know, anybody in any position. And people actually love telling you what they do because actually they're quite proud of their job and the contribution that they make. Yeah, and, um, you know, I just just remember speaking to carpenters and electricians and just saying, what, what are you doing at the moment? Because obviously this isn't anything that I'm familiar with day in, day out. And they were just really proud. But being able to sort of just ask those questions and just get a bit of an insight gave you um, real sort of like knowledge and understanding of whether it was a project we were building or we were putting together some, you know, components or whatever it was. But yeah, really good. And people love talking about what they do. So I, I never felt bad for sort of saying, look, I've got like a few questions. Are you OK. People are like, yeah, no, that's great. Ask away. And um you know, I get people say to me, God, you ask a lot of questions. And I do. I do need to probably cut down on the questions that I ask because I'm like, oh, I need to know about this and this. Or maybe ask <laughs> one question at a time. But I, I want to know what question one, two and three all in one go, please. Um, and I've learned over the years to just give people space to answer the question in the first place. But, um, yeah, it, I think just being interested in in the areas that you work in, the organization, even the industry. Um, yeah, just gives you great insight into, you know, what we can achieve collectively either as a business or as a team or as an industry to be able to go, right. And I think that's that. what, that's what sparks the, the creativity and the innovation when you just go, right, we do this, but actually, what about if we did this? And just looking at, you know, what we're looking at at the moment around um, digitally, did I can't even say the word now, did it? <laughs> there you go, that one. Well, <laughs> should you we sleep? just say um, technology yeah. enhanced wellbeing because I can say that better. So, So, yeah, looking Sounds at...
0: Good. technology
1: enhanced well-being you know we would never have been looking at that three or four years ago and now we're looking at all these um sort of opportunities that enable us to look after our well-being so you know we're looking at how because microsoft are brilliant at what they do and they've created this whole viva insights which is almost you know allowing people to take Mm -hmm. their own personal well-being putting focus time in their diaries and you know blocking meeting time out but actually reducing your meeting so it says you know actually reduce your meeting um you know you don't need to be in there for two hours just do it for half an hour and actually you can put time limits on your day and it's been great i think uh, just showing people it's really simple stuff that you can do um and technology again you know it's the way forward so what can we do to be looking at the new you know innovative way in which we manage well-being and support people over the next 10 years um and it, yeah, there's lots happening at the moment. So it's really, really exciting and a great place to sort of be. Let's talk about
0: mentoring. Um, have you been mentored in the past? And have you acted as a mentor for other people?
1: Yes, I have. And actually, I think it's great for development. So in my younger uh, days, yes, I, um, I had mentors, actually. And we're lucky enough in that the organisations that I've worked in there would be either a a formal scheme or there would be sort of a scheme that you know people would volunteer and say look if you want a mentor I'm happy to take you through you know what you need to do or you know if you've got a problem or a challenge and you want to talk stuff through so I would say um, being a mentee was really great for me because it meant um, a lot of the time I was paired up with somebody that was doing something completely different in the organisation or even actually outside of the organisation and that gave a different insight and a different way of thinking and looking at a a problem. If there was, you know, a problem solving issue that we needed to look at Uh, and just having that guidance and support was, I mean, was amazing because, you know, you've got somebody that you can call upon whether it's on the phone, whether you have a face-to-face meeting, you know, whether you just need a bit of advice and they're there to support you. And actually they're taking time to help you grow and develop. And so for them, you know, that investment is really important. So, um, it was great from from that perspective. And I learned so much from my mentors because they came from different backgrounds, different levels of the organization. Some were sort of like private organizations, sort of small businesses, larger businesses. Finance, I had a mentor um, a few years ago who was from a finance background. I was like, what, what am I going to do with a finance person? <laughs> banking. And I was like, you know, yeah. I'm in construction. They're in banking. This is not, you know, and actually it was one of the, the best experiences because he thought in a completely different way and actually his, his creativity and the way he would look at problem solving was just like really different to mine. And he just brought a different um, dynamic to our conversations. And actually he was really great at looking at, well, where do you want to go in the next five years? What's your plan? What's your development, you know, what you're doing and, you know, what do you want to achieve? And so he would really push me. And actually he did push me quite hard. Sometimes I'd just be like, Oh, I can't do this. This is too challenging now. (laughs) Um, so I think definitely, and, and actually being a mentor as well, it's been great um, to be able to mentor other people in the business to just sort of look at what is it they want from their career, you know, if they need to just discuss things that are happening on the job, you know, are there challenges that they need some help with, just actually the whole piece, you know, around long term career development, but also immediate Problem challenges or issues that they just think, oh, I don't know where to go with that. I'm going to speak to my mentor, see what they think. So if anyone gets the opportunity to be a mentee or a mentor, then I would grab it with both hands because the experiences on both sides have have really helped shape me and have got me to where I am now.
0: Couldn't couldn't agree more with that. As you've progressed throughout your career, you've obviously ended up in situations where you've you know had to you know deliver things that are you know under pressure timescales you've had to be in front of you know senior senior people how have you developed you know developed yourself over time to be more comfortable in those kind of situations because quite often you know we are our own worst enemies when we you know we naturally overthink naturally overthink situations which actually aren't you know aren't as bad as we think they are and when we've kind of got the other side of the situation we look back on it like well it wasn't as bad as we do but you know how how have you found that experience over 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 time?
1: Yeah, and I so I think you know in my my early career, I mean, I was always very nervous and quite anxious about delivering a presentation or even if it was in front of a small group of people and um, putting myself out there because you just feel very vulnerable, don't you? You're just like, right, I've got to make I I don't want to look foolish, I don't want to fail, I want to you know come across really professionally and I want to succeed and I want to get the answers that we're looking for. I want to, yes, at the end of this, if it was a an approval for something um so for me it was about great preparation having time to prepare and being organized so um and that's just the way I am anyway as an as an individual so having time to prepare know what I need to deliver what's the message uh, whether it was preparing materials that I needed to do and then just practicing it putting myself out there so it would feel really uncomfortable in the early days and just going look I know it's going to be hard and it's going to feel quite nerve wracking, but just do it because actually it will be just fine. And as you said, Adam, actually, after you've done it, whether it's a presentation or a sales pitch or whatever it was, um, you go, oh, that, was never, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And the more practice and experience that I've had over the years, I've just become, you know, more comfortable with that. I would say definitely, you know, going back to the question, preparation and organisation is key. Um, and just, you know, saying, look, it's going to feel uncomfortable, but that's okay. Because actually, that means you care enough for it to to mean something to you, um, and you're passionate about what you're doing. So, having a little bit of anxiety or, you know, being nervous about something is, is a good thing, and you can really use that and, and know that you'll get through it and it will be fine. At the end of it, you'll look back and that presentation or, you know, speech at a conference will will be okay.
0: Yeah, I, I think harnessing harnessing your anxiety in a positive way is, is is really important. I think it is if you are looking at it because you because you care that's that's great
1: because I think as well most people won't know how you're feeling inside you might be like really nervous and scared and but actually on the outside and how many times have you had feedback on a presentation or something or you know you've done an interview and you're like oh god I don't know how how that's gone and people go oh that was really good and you're like really because in my head it was not that you know it wasn't like that it was like this and but actually to the outside world those fears and anxieties aren't obvious and it's just stuff in your own head and what's going on for you, that you're hearing, you're not actually seeing really what's happening. So, Um, but when things go wrong in the workplace, it's like in your younger days, you know, you're like, oh, you know, I'm not sure how to manage this and how to deal with it. And sometimes, you know, yeah, my chimp would get the best of me. And I've learned over the years to manage that, to just go, okay, in that environment, you need to be thinking about how you manage that. Let the human part of your brain take over, you know, look at the rational part rather than the emotional part that you're, that you're feeling right now. And actually, you know, even now today, you know, I have conversations with my coach saying that this has happened and I'm feeling really like my chimp is ready to jump out of the cage. But um, and just being able to talk it through and go, right, OK, what's the challenge that we're trying to deal with here? What's the problem we're trying to solve? OK, let's put the emotions to one side. And that's hard sometimes. But, you know, I don't the think moment, you ever... it really yeah. can be. I don't think you ever get to a point where you just go, right, I've got it all covered. Everything is sorted, you know, it's just constant all the time. So I think you always need to be developing, practicing, learning how to manage all those different things that go on when you're, yeah, when you're, you know, building and still in your career.
0: So going back to when you've had those opportunities to do your preparation and then get in front of, you know, executive teams where you may be trying to, you know, either ask for resource to explore something further or actually you've, you know, you put a case together and you're now trying to sound out the, you know, is this something that we can, we can pursue? Um, how do you, how do you find yourself when you're in those situations trying to kind of get the best out of it? Um, do you have any kind of, you know, tips, any kind of strategies that you developed over, over time and, and equally any things where you thought, Oh, that didn't work. Uh, better think about that again.
1: One of the things that, uh, again, one of my, bosses in my younger days uh, taught me was actually just speak to the decision makers beforehand on the just in a you know either a five ten minute conversation it could just be actually you're at the coffee machine or whatever and you go oh, I've had a really good idea about you know developing a new I don't know it could be a new program for this part of the business that's going to drive this level of efficiency and but actually we need some investment um, in technology or new software package whatever it might be or you know in the construction industry it might be that, that we need resource because we're looking at, um, you know, exploring this part of the business, but we need some someone that's going to manage it um, and it's going to deliver this level of value. It's actually looking at the key stakeholders that are going to make the decision and going, right, okay, so if you're dealing with a finance person, what are their drivers? What is it they're going to want to see? If you're dealing with an engineer, you know, what's the data that they're going to want to see? What's the value that they're going to get from this project? Um, you know, so just actually really looking at it from the, different people's perspective and saying, what are the key drivers and have you delivered on each one of those? Um, and I would probably go out and speak to them individually before either presenting in a room full of people or submitting a paper to the board to look at, just to say, right, what are the key things here that you need? Um, we're looking at putting this together, the proposal, so I want you to have a read of it. What are the key things for you that you'd like to see to make sure that you know it, it addresses what you'd want? And I think just being able to do that has helped massively um, over the years in just being able to say right key stakeholders what do they need from this what are the benefits for them so um and then also as a collective you know if it's a leadership team you know obviously delivering sort of uh, value for the organization overall
0: when you've got your business case accepted and you're going to start uh, a, a program moving forward especially in the world of you know well-being safety etc change is obviously something that not everybody embraces or gets on board with um if you haven't got the right culture for for that um trying to get you know great ideas that can end up falling flat because people haven't thought enough about how they're going to implement it and deal with the common um barriers that you get with with change um you know you've experienced this now over over your career any any tips any thoughts on how you can kind of avoid um avoid you know Obvious failure and um, yeah, and hit success more often.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say it's all in the design and the planning. If I'm honest, I don't. I'm. I just remember over the years is like, actually, you're right. As humans, naturally, we're not good with change because it's like, well, hold on a minute, uh, it's working okay like this. Why are we changing it? What, what's going on? Um, and actually, you're asking people to uh, adopt something that they're not familiar with, maybe, and that can be uncomfortable for people. So I think. Um, Designing, so whether you're implementing a behavioural change programme, safety programme, you know, well-being, you know, approach, it's around being able to design something that's addressing the, ma- the needs of most of the people, you know, you can't please all the people all the time. So you're going to have to go with, you know, what's the, you know, answer the question, what's the problem we're trying to solve, and then actually de- uh, design a programme or a plan that details that, and actually um, organising at each stage, whether it's, you know, every 12 months, this is the communication plan. So how are we going to engage with our people? Tell them everything that's going on. You know, if people feel informed and they feel like they're part of the discussion and the communication that's going on, then you're likely to get them to come along with you um, on the journey. If they feel like they've kept, they've been kept in the dark or they're not having their answers, their questions answered, then, you know, that's when you get, you know, people that, you know, are finding it difficult and that's when you get resistance. And just being really clear, you know, just having... because you can't always have everything detailed and planned out because there's some things that you can't, you can't do, but just having um, a sense of, look, this is a five-year plan. It's going to look something like this every 12 months. This is what we're going to be delivering. These are the outputs. This is the communication plan that we're going to be following. So, you know, and actually be really detailed about that every month. We're going to have an opportunity for people to ask questions to either the board or the senior leadership team. People can have, you know, post questions in our inbox There's an inbox for people to email, um you know and obviously as we develop this phase of the program people will be involved but they've got an opportunity to change some of that if they need to so actually just detailing what that's going to look like in as much detail as possible and having great communication framework that supports that is key because what we need is people to be able to feel that they've got a contribution to make in shaping what's going on in the business but also if there's something that they're concerned about that they can raise that as well so they might be worried about their job they might be worried that it's going to impact their team or something like that being able to to be open about those discussions and actually just say look no question is the wrong question or a silly question you know just ask it and and you know we might not have the answer there and then but we'll come up with a solution that will hopefully help everybody
0: um last question then for for me before we wrap up um today i appreciate this might be a difficult one for you but can you think of or has there been kind of like a highlight or a standout moment in your in your career with something that you've you know you've delivered or uh, you know a moment that you're in where you think wow you know and reflected on thinking that was brilliant you know how lucky am I to have been able to to do this
1: oh good there's quite a few actually I don't mean it's really difficult to sort of just pick one or two I think can I have like two or three things is that all right yeah go for <laughs> it go for it I think actually do you know what the opportunity to lead the incident and injury free programme for the organisation was um a great opportunity in sort of designing something and implementing something from scratch. So blank sheet of paper and just you know mm-hmm. what actually this is either going to go really well or it's gonna go really badly. Um, but again planning, organization, design, communication all featured and they it ended up being a great programme. And obviously there were other people that were involved in helping that, but I think the opportunity to do that And it was great success. Um, And it changed, it shifted the culture, we did see quite a big change. And I I was really proud to be part of that. Sort of for me, me it felt like a bit of a movement. And I was really proud to be part of that. Yeah. The second thing I would say, that's been, um, you know, we talked earlier on about recognition. And you said, you know, well, you you know, you've obviously achieved all this stuff and great. And I'm not great at doing that with looking back and going, oh, we've done this. And that's been great. And I do it for the team members because it's great to show appreciation and gratitude for others. Right. But I never really reflect on what I've done personally. Um, and in 2018, I was um, nominated and I won health and well-being leader of the year for the Construction News Awards in 2018. So the business had nominated me for that. And that was a great highlight for me because actually we had to look back on all the achievements and, you know, what we'd what we'd done as a business but also my contribution to that and so that was great personal recognition for me um which was great and
0: and how did you find being in the spotlight
1: not well yeah it's funny isn't it because um I would say I'm quite a outgoing person loves being around people but actually when it's all on you I'm like oh no I'm not sure I'm really great in that space it was lovely it was great recognition I was very proud and it was a moment in my time that I'll never forget to be fair and I think just it just goes to show that actually, you know, when you're passionate and you love what you do, other people do see that. And I think that was the the thing for me. It was recognized by others. Uh, and that meant a hell of a lot to me. So yeah. so that was that. And then I think now, you know, in the well-being space, having the opportunity to work with people like um, sports psychologists, you know, like Kate Goodyear, who uh, has brought new thinking and new ways of like working and looking at the energy and capacity management programs that we run, the mental health programs. Um, and just trying to push the boundaries all the time, just thinking what's different, what's new, what have we got to be looking at uh, moving forward. So probably a lot there to cover, Adam, because it's really difficult to just say one. And I don't know if that sort of answered the question.
0: Oh, I know, I, knew, I know, it <laughs> is a difficult one to It's a difficult one to ask. But I think you've picked out some great, you know, some great moments there. You've picked out, you know, you, you have been able to recognize um, things that you know you've you've done. And I and, and I, I I'm with you. I, I find it difficult at times when people you know praise me. I'm like, oh. No, I like giving praise out to other to other people. Um, but you know, equally, you have picked you know things there which fully link back to your purpose around helping people. You know, you've got a program that you you delivered, and you know, right at the beginning of the podcast, you said about you had to think about that opportunity for a couple of days, and just that that there could have been a fork in the road moment because you could have gone down the other path and not done that, and then who knows where you would be now. But you know, you went for it um and like you said it's when you're taking on something that's never been done before you know there's a lot about planning other people are other people around you and then if we fast forward to you know right where you are now you get to look at what's next and like I say I love the idea of pushing pushing boundaries in in innovation here because mental health is and, and well-being is huge and there are so many things that we probably need to do that we haven't even thought about now but yeah, that's what you get to do um and you know you're you're interacting with people that you perhaps never thought that you that you would listening to things you're thinking oh my god oh, how can I take that how can I take that how can I take that um to, to you know to drive things forward and you know you mentioned you know you've mentioned about energy energy a number of times through through here how great is that that you get to you know get to be energized in in doing that and if you're doing something that you love for the most part why would you not want to carry on you know carry on doing that because you can
1: see the impact that it has so yeah, really, uh, really good stuff. I've been fortunate as well. I think working with some great people that are equally passionate about, you know, whether it's my team at the moment, you know, that they're, they're great because they're passionate, they're you know, creative, and, and they bring a different set of strengths to to me. So actually, we really complement each other in the sense of actually when we're together, we um, we think in different ways, but we bring different things to the table. So it's great because just it, you know, when you're in the room with us, we're like, oh my god, we innovative creative we're dynamic we're all these things collectively because you can't just do it on your own but those you know having having the opportunity to work with some great people over my career as well as has made a massive difference to you know what we've achieved but also how much I've enjoyed the experience so um yeah so grateful for that and like I said some great bosses and mentors as well along the way
0: thank you so much for taking the time out to, to talk to me it has been a fascinating fascinating chat and um yeah so many interesting parts of your uh, of your career and the way that you've taken things forward and know will help um you know other people will be inspired by uh, when they when they listen to that so thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time out today it's been great thank you
1: adam thanks for the invitation it's been great doing the podcast with you i've really enjoyed it so thank you
0: <laughs> thanks so much for listening to risk sleep repeat if you'd like to appear on the show if there's a topic you'd like to discuss, or if you want to let us know your thoughts, please do so using the hashtag RiskSleepRepeat or get in touch via our website at praxis42.com.